Well, this morning we're going to continue our series in prayer. And uh, once again, Ken mentioned the prayer journal that we have for you back there. If you didn't get one last week, and there's enough for everybody to have one. Um, so if, if you just got one last week for your, your couple, go ahead and, and grab another one. You can have it individually. And, and even if you want to grab a couple to, to give away to people, that'd be fine. Um, but uh, last week we looked at the uh, message of, of basically how to pray. And uh, today, you know, it, it, when you think of the subject of, of prayer, um, it's, it's really, um, you can't really overemphasize teaching on prayer. There's no, I would say, greater activity um, in significance, at least in the believer's life, uh, than having a, a daily prayer life. And trust me, I'm not uh, standing here as some big prayer warrior, okay? Uh, I, I am not, to my shame. But I do believe in prayer, and I believe that, that prayer is more than just an activity, it's an attitude. And we're going to look a little bit about that today. Um, but we know that our dependence upon God is, uh, happens through um, our reliance on him through prayer. But you stop and think about how vast and how really mysterious, in a way, the subject of prayer is. Um, you know, for the Christian, prayer is our, our personal means of communication with the very God who, when he spoke, he spoke the universe into existence. And yet we get to communicate with him whenever we want, wherever we want. Uh, pretty, pretty incredible thing. John MacArthur said this, there are two spiritual activities which are to be unceasingly part of the believer's life. Two great pillars that hold up the believer in the matter of daily living. He said, one is the study of the word of God. And secondly, it's prayer. Studying God's word and prayer are two activities that we're called to be active in each and every day. In Acts chapter 6 verse 4, the, the apostles said this, we, give, we will give ourselves continually. That, that means continually. That means without ceasing, okay, to prayer and the ministry of the, world, the word. And so when you stop and think about it, those two activities, prayer and the ministry of the word, the study of God's word, is very important. Think of it this way. Prayer is our speaking to God, and studying his word is God speaking to us. That's, that's really, you read uh, uh, Hebrews 1, you know, it says that God spoke to us in various ways, but now he has spoken to us through his son. And so there's two things here that really affect our relationship with God, studying his word and prayer. Uh, we should be in his word every day. Doesn't mean you have to, you know, um, have a 12-hour Bible study every day. It might just be reading a couple verses, asking God to open up your heart to a new truth maybe that you found in, in his word, all right? But also in the area of prayer. Um, you know, unfortunately... A lot of Christians have thought of prayer as something that, you know, um, has, has to be done at a certain time in a certain place and, and, and all those things. And unfortunately, that's not always true. All the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, let me read these verses for you, 4 to 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Verse 7 says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you, look at this, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals between your eyes. In other words, you can't get away from them. Everywhere you look, you're seeing God's word. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And sometimes I make fun of my wife because if you've ever been to our house, there's little post-it notes and stickers with scripture everywhere. And it's like, you know, after a while I go, okay, enough, you know. But you know what? That's not a bad deal. That's pretty good. You wake up in the morning, you're looking at yourself in the mirror, what do you see a scripture verse? Wow, okay. See, we're told through the psalmist that we should meditate on God's word day and night. Um, and it, it should be something that we, we do all the time. But it's the same, same, same thing with prayer, right? I mean, God tells us very clearly, Paul tells us in the New Testament, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, that we should what? Pray without ceasing, okay? Pray without ceasing. Now, you don't have to know Greek to understand what that means. It means pray without ceasing. It means pray continually. He also says, pray always with all prayer and supplication that everything in, that we should do everything in prayer by, by prayer with thanksgiving, make our requests be made known unto God. And see, we need to remind ourselves what Philippians tells us in chapter four, verse six and seven. When we're before God in prayer, here's what happens. Here's the result in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, we live in troubling times. There's no doubt about that. We live in, in times of upheaval. upheaval. We, we, we live in times of rebellion and sin. It's all around us. And, you know, even as we, we pray for our country this month, you know, we, it's, it's kind of heavy on our hearts sometimes, what's going on. And yet I come back to this, <laughs> this verse you know, and when it's very easy to watch the news 24 7 uh, this time of year, you got all the stuff going on. And you know what? I would just ask you to be careful with that. I know that I have to kind of monitor that because I end up yelling at the TV and, you know, blood pressure goes up, things, bad things happen, you know, when you, you get into that vicious cycle. And it goes back to this, this verse in Philippians that said, wait a minute, is this causing me to have the peace of God or is this causing me to have anxiousness? Because you know what? God is going to carry out his will, you know, and, and that's what we're going to look at this morning a little bit later on, but we're to be praying at all times. We're to be studying God's word, taking in, meditating upon it, giving it out. See, those are two things that are really the foundation of a believer's life. That's something that's very basic. That's like Christianity 101, studying God's word and praying. We need to hear God's voice as he speaks to us through his word, and we also need to speak to God in our own prayers. George Mueller, who was a wonderful man of prayer, was asked one time, how much time do you spend in prayer? And here's what he said. Here's his quote. He says, I live in the spirit of prayer. I pray as I walk, when I lie down, when I rise. The answers are always coming. 
I was talking to somebody last week and they said, yeah, sometimes I feel bad, you know, because at night I'll be laying in bed and I'm praying and I fall asleep. I'm like, why would you feel bad? What a wonderful thing to go to sleep in prayer. Because I do the same thing. That's why, you know, at first I kind of felt guilty. Sometimes, you know, you're in bed, you're praying, you're thinking about things, things are heavy on your heart, and, you're and all of a sudden you realize, wow, you know, I fell asleep praying. You know, how rude is that? But you know what? I bet you that blesses God's heart. That you're actually communicating with him as you drift off into unconsciousness. <laughs> well, where do we go to explore this ex- special privilege that God gives us through prayer. And I think we have to look no further than the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, we have to go to his life. We have to look at what prayer played a part, how prayer played a part in his life. And in Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 1, in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, excuse me, it says this, that one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished his disciples were with him and doesn't tell us which one, but one of the disciples came to him and we mentioned this last week. They said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray. So they looked at the life of Christ and they said, you know what? There's something different here. Uh, we we want to know what you know, Lord. Uh, we want to make sure that we are living a life that's representative of what we see exemplified in your life. And so he observed the life, the prayer life of Jesus. And he said, you know what? I, I, wanna, I want that. I want to know how to pray like you pray, Lord. And that's a, that's a wise prayer. That's a smart request. Um, because as a Christian, we, I pray that our, our prayer lives are effectual. They're effective. Um, prayer is an absolute necessity. It's kind of like breathing. You know, how long could you go without breathing? Maybe a minute? Maybe two? I know when we go to Hawaii, in Hawaii they have basically three big freeways, H1, H2, and H3. And I think it's H2 that goes over the other side of the island through the tunnel. So whenever we go through that tunnel, right before we get in, everybody in the car says, okay, take a big breath. We're going through the tunnel. We got to hold our breath. It's like, what? And sometimes, you know, there's cars in front of you, so you can't really go as fast as you want to go. I remember one time I was driving through the tunnel. I said, yeah, we got to put the pedal to the metal here and get through here. I'm going to pass out, you know. But it's a game with the grandkids. You know, to, to hold our breath or when we're in the pool. I was proud of myself this last, this last time I was over there. Even though I was coming off some sickness, I was able to, in the, the Olympic pool there at the, at the base, I swam down and back underwater. I almost drowned, but I made it. <laughs> even the lifeguard there was impressed. You know, who is this old guy that's doing this, you know? <clears throat> Probably lost a few more brain cells on that one, but... but it's the, the importance of prayer is just like breathing. We can't go without oxygen, beloved. We can't go very long without it. And see, it's the same thing with prayer. Prayer is an absolute necessity. And fortunately, Jesus, over in the Gospel of Matthew, if you turn over there, Matthew chapter 6, I just want to look this morning just briefly, and this is not meant to be an in-depth study, 
of what some call the Lord's Prayer. I call the Disciples' Prayer. Um, but it's, it's not really meant to be that, you know, uh, it's just an overview. Because we have communion this morning, we've got a lot going on. But I, I also want to remind us last week that we, we learned a little bit about how to pray. And I just want to remind you of those key points. Um, we talked about praying persistently. We talked about praying insistently, confidently, resiliently. We talked about praying specifically and unceasingly and initially. You know, that's one we got to learn, right? We got to go to prayer first. Uh, or praying unselfishly, or boldly, or biblically, or unitedly, or patiently, and naturally. You know, we talked about those things last week, and I, I just bring that up because sometimes we have the wrong idea of what prayer is. Well, Jesus gives us an example here of a prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And, uh, and he gives a, a, basically it's a fuller account than, than over in Luke. That's why I turned over here to, to, to Matthew but it's the, same, it's the same idea. And you look in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. I mean, isn't that an incredible truth? That when we go to God in prayer, we don't need to remind him what we need. He already knows what we need. See, when we look at this prayer this morning, the disciples' prayer, this template that Jesus gives us, you'll see how this kind of flushes itself out. But he wants us to know that, you know, this is just a, a, a sample. So, so look at this prayer here in, in verse 9. He says, pray then like this, or in this manner. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or the evil one. Um, a lot of times this is called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, most theologians refer to it as the disciples' prayer because it wasn't a prayer that Jesus prayed. It was, it was a, used as an example. Because remember, the apostles just asked him, well, how do we pray? <laughs> Teach us how to pray. And so he says there at the very beginning, well, pray like this. Pray in this manner. Now, you notice several things about this prayer. The things that are important to Christians, most Christians today about prayer, are not even mentioned in this sample prayer. It doesn't talk about our posture. Jesus doesn't say, well, when you pray, you've got to get down on your knees. He didn't say that. Why is that? Because any posture will do. 
Um, in the Bible, people pray kneeling, pray sitting, pray standing, lifting up their hands, bowing down, all kinds of different ways. There's no specific posture for prayer. If you want to kneel down and pray when you pray, that's fine. But don't feel because you're driving down the freeway and you can't kneel down in your car, you can't pray. Because prayer, remember, is not an activity, it's an attitude. It's an attitude of dependence upon God. So it doesn't tell us anything about the posture. If that was important to Jesus, he probably would have put it in there. Well, you have to kneel down, first of all. But he didn't put that there. Secondly, it doesn't say anything about where to pray. In this sample prayer. Now, before that, that's why I read the text before, because he says, hey, you shouldn't be out on the street corner so everybody can see you, and that's your motivation. It doesn't matter if you pray on the street corner, but if you're only praying on the street corner so everybody could see how spiritual you are, then go home and lock yourself in the closet because you're just doing it for show. That's not the right motivation for prayer. So he's not talking about the different places to pray there. He's talking about the motivations of the heart. But here in this sample prayer, obviously it wasn't a big deal to God where we pray because he doesn't even bring it up. In the Bible, people prayed when they were in the middle of a battle, when they were in a cave or a closet, a garden, a mountainside, on the cross, by a river, in the sea, even in a fish's stomach. (laughs) Right, Jonah? I mean, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't think that would be an ideal place to have to pray. See, 1 Timothy says that we need to let men pray everywhere. That's what Paul wrote to Timothy. And so in the Bible, they prayed everywhere. It also doesn't mention anything about times of prayer. What time do we pray? You know, in the Muslim faith, they have certain times that they have to pray throughout the day. Um, I've heard messages where, where um, a pastor would get up and say, well, you know, the biblical, if you want to be biblical, you've got to pray in the morning. You've got to get up early in the morning and pray because that's when Jesus prayed. Well, that's not only time Jesus prayed. He prayed a lot of times. He prayed throughout the day. He prayed at night. Is it best to start off your morning with a time of prayer and communication with God? I would say so. I think that gets you off on the right foot. But don't be so legalistic about it that that's the only time you can pray. In the Bible, people prayed in the morning, three times a day, in the evening, before meals, after meals. I always thought that was interesting. You know, you go to a restaurant, and what do you, what's, well, as believers, what do we do before we eat? We pray, right? I just wonder sometimes if that's because we really feel the need to pray, or is it just a legalistic habit that we developed? What if we prayed after the meal? Would that be wrong? I don't think so. See, it, it depends on the condition of your heart. But see, as Christians, we've taken prayer and, well, if you go to a restaurant, you've got to pray because then everybody knows you're a Christian and, you know... <laughs> Make a big show about it. Kind of like out there on the uh, street corner, right? (laughs) I mean, that's what Jesus just got done talking to them about. We need to be careful about that. Am I saying don't pray in a restaurant before you eat? No, you should have a heart full of thanksgiving. 
I guess it depends what you're eating, to be honest with you. <laughs> Depending on what you pray, you know. If you've got something before you and it looks yummy, yummy, you might want to give thanks before. But if you're looking at something that's not really doing you much, you know, you might want to eat it and then pray afterwards that you don't die or something. I don't know. You know, I don't think it's that big of a deal to God. It's, it's a condition of the heart. Also, he doesn't mention anything here about clothes. What we're supposed to wear when we pray. See, some people felt that somehow they had to put on a, a special dress in order for them to pray. In the, in the Jewish culture, they do that. They have prayer shawls and all kinds of things they wear. And that's what they were doing back then. But in the Bible, you see people praying wearing sackcloths. Sometimes they're just sitting in a pile of ashes. Sometimes they're shaving their heads. They're crying out. They're putting dust on their heads. They're tearing their garments. They're fasting. There's all kinds of different situations when people pray throughout Scripture. See, those aren't the issues that are of importance to our Lord because his disciple just asked him, teach us how to pray. And he didn't talk about any of these things. He didn't talk about what you wear. He didn't talk about when you pray or where you pray or how much you pray. Those were not important things to him. Because you know what? Prayer to him was a way of life. It was simply a way of life. And if it's a way of life, we need to understand how to pray and specifically what to pray. Now, like I said, this prayer is not a prayer that God gave us that we're supposed to um, repeat. You know, I was raised in the Roman Catholic Church. And every night before I went to bed, I could say my prayers, my nightly prayers, which I did faithfully pretty much every night, uh, probably in about 45 seconds to 60 seconds. And I checked the box. I had done it. And, you know, I mean, you doubt me. It kind of went something like this. You know, Lord, thanks for a great day. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as in heaven, give us a day of daily bread and give us our trespasses. We forgive those trespasses against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hail Mary, full of grace, Lord, is with thee, thou art And I'd go on with the Hail Mary, and I'd be done. 45 seconds, I'm done. I did my deal. Okay, that is not prayer. That is simply reciting something. And that's not what Jesus is saying here. That's why he says, pray then like this. He's not saying use these exact words. He's saying use this as a template, as an outline. And we know the purpose of prayer because John 14, verses 13 and 14 says that when we ask anything in his name, he hears us and then he gives the purpose in order that the Father may be glorified. See, we got it all mixed up. I'm here to tell you prayer is not for you to get what you want from God. That's not the purpose of prayer. But that's what we've kind of made it. Do you have a need? Well, you need to take it to the Lord, brother. <laughs> See, prayer is meant to put the, the glory and the majesty of God on display. That's the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer isn't for us to bring a bunch of stuff that we need before God and lay it in his lap and say, here, give me this, like some divine Santa Claus. Now, does God care about our provisions? Yes, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But prayer is for the express purpose that God will be glorified. 
So all prayer focuses on God. That's what this prayer focuses on. And let's look at the first point. What to pray? Well, first of all, we need to pray to the Father. He says there, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We pray to our Father. Um, you know, that, those two words, our Father, it's, it's really inclusive, but it's also exclusive. It's inclusive for those who are in the body of Christ because that's whose Father God is. If you're outside the body of Christ, I'm sorry, the Bible clearly says that God is not your Father. See, there's people today that believe in the, 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 the fatherhood of God, and that applies to everybody, kind of a form of universalism. And that's just not true. It's not biblical. God is our Father because we have come to our Father. We've been reconciled to our Father through what? Through the work of Christ on the cross. That's what we're celebrating here this morning as communion time comes. We're celebrating the work of Christ that he did on our behalf. And so when we come to God, we can't just march into God's presence and say, hey, you know, I need some stuff. No, who are we coming through? We're coming through Christ. We're coming through the righteousness of Christ. And the only people that can do that are those who are in Christ, those who have trusted Christ for their salvation. So the R is those believers. And then he says, Father, which, which really reminds us of our relationship with our God. That he is our Father. And, you know, some people say, well, yeah, he's Abba Father. You know, he's like our daddy. Well, that's okay. That's a, that's a good understanding. But I think sometimes p- people in the church take that to the extent where it almost becomes irreverent. So they're talking about the man upstairs. Yeah, it's just like my dad. You know, it's kind of like a couple, you know, that's, that's married and you hear them refer to one another in, in a way that probably most of us here would never do this. But I've heard it in conversations where a guy, you know, I'll be talking to a guy down at the coffee shop order, and he'll go, yeah, my old lady, you know. Or a lady, you know, yeah, my old man. Or even children, you know, rather refer to their father or their, their dad. They're, oh, maybe the old man won't let me go out. That's disrespectful. That, there's no reverence in that. And so here he says, you know what? We need to pray to our Father. It denotes a relationship that we have with our God. That's what sets us apart from everybody else in the world. That our God is an intimate God, that he cares for us. Now you notice in this prayer, you don't see any personal pronouns in the singular form. You don't see me, myself, my, I, all those. Why? Because it's, it's a corporate prayer. It's a family prayer. It's involving the Father in heaven and the children on earth. And as members of the family, we must want what the Father wants. Because it says here, our Father, where is he? He's in heaven. And then it says, hallowed be your name. That means holy, set apart. This is not just your average Father. This is the Father. He's to be honored. He's to be revered, as we sang this morning, holy, holy, holy. So prayer starts with respect for the Father, not with a bunch of requests from the Father's children. And that's how we see this prayer play out for us. Well, secondly, not only do we pray to the Father, but we also pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Now, there's a lot in there. And like I said, this is meant to pick apart this whole piece of scripture. You can, John MacArthur has a wonderful series on this and he goes into depth, I think 10 messages or something. But, um, you know, you can, you can use that as a reference. But here we're just doing an overview of this. See, we're to pray that God's kingdom would come and that his will would be done. Well, what does that mean? That means his desire must be our desire. His desire must be our desire. If it's any other way, it has to be, we need to be realigned. So if you're desiring something, and it's not something that is either scriptural, or it's not something that would support biblical principles in your life, you need to not look at God and say, you need to move. No, you need to move. (laughs) You need to realign your heart with what God is directing you to pray for. Um, We have to understand anything in our prayers that do not advance God's kingdom or glorify his name is against his will. Anything. And so we need to be reminded of that. You know, Jesus came for one purpose and for one purpose only. To do what? The Father's will. To do the Father's will. And he reminded the disciples over and over about that. Because he wanted them to understand that, you know what? My my purpose is the same as yours. I'm going to send you out with the same purpose. You need to do the Father's will. And that's what our purpose is here today. So he says, pray that your kingdom would come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, the the kingdom of God is is a vast subject in and of itself. But you know what? We get so caught up, I think, in in our own little worlds here in America, in, in our little community, in our family, in our neighborhood, and we think this is our little kingdom. And the last time I checked, beloved, all that stuff is going to go away one day. It's just going to be burned up. It's not going to be around. It's not eternal. And so we need to stop and we need to remind ourselves when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. What does that look like? What does that look like? It really means we have to set aside our own agenda, our own desires, our own wants. And that's not any different than what Jesus' gospel message was, right? When he came to the multitudes, what did he say? Hey, come after me and I'll give you everything you want. Is that what he said? No. He said, you can come after me, but first of all, you have to what? Deny yourself. You have to take up your cross daily, an instrument of death. And then you can follow me. See, we've, we've, we've made Christianity this, this kind of popular religion of, of, oh, God just loves you and he's just going to make everything happy, happy, happy in your life. Well, that may not be true if that's not his will. I mean, maybe God wants you to be sick. Have you ever thought of that one? I mean, you know, sometimes you talk to people and they're praying for God to heal them and they're not getting healed. I mean, sometimes I say, well, you know what? Maybe there's a purpose here. There's obviously a purpose. Because if you're one of his children and you're sick, God allowed this. Let's let's kind of wallow a little bit here in this and and understand what God's purpose for this is. And then, then he'll move you through it. But whenever we're faced with something like that, we immediately think, oh, it's the enemy. 
It's got to be the enemy. Not always. Not always. Sometimes God uses trials. Sometimes God uses those temptations, those situations in our lives that are sometimes, frankly, unbearable. And he uses them to grow us in our spiritual growth. He wants us to know that, you know what? No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will what? Provide a way of escape. If you're just patient. And I think sometimes even as parents, and, you know, I'm guilty of this as well, earlier on in life, but, you know, our child's gone through a a situation. What do we want to do? We want to bail them out. Got to bail them out. No, sometimes it's good to allow them to reap the consequences of whatever behavior got them there. You don't want your children to fail ultimately. But sometimes we're so quick to bail them out, they never realize any consequences for their behavior. So we need to be reminded of these things. So God's kingdom to come, his will to be done, not our own. And the third thing here, he talks about praying for God's provision. We have to move along. God's concerns take precedent over our concerns. And as you grow spiritually and and mature spiritually, you you learn a little bit more about what it means to seek first his kingdom. Because you know what? A lot of times, if you you talk to a brand new Christian, if you talk to a a saint that's been around the block and maybe they've known the Lord for 50 years and they've grown and they're just a a living example of, of what a Christian is, you talk to them and you ask them, what are your prayer requests? They're vastly different, vastly different. And that just comes with time. But the Lord is concerned about our needs. I'm not saying he's not, he is. But he wants us to see those needs in the context of of a higher purpose in our lives. See, because he loves us, he'll provide for us. He'll meet our needs day by day. In, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you, seek and you'll find, knock, and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. And then he gives this illustration in verses 9 to 11. He says, Which of you, if, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? I mean, that would be kind of cruel, wouldn't it? Your little child is asking you, hey, you know, mommy, daddy, can I have a piece of bread? Yeah, here's a rock, kid, and all on this. I mean, who would do that, right? And he goes on, he says, or if he asked for a fish, would you give him a snake? I mean, that's even worse. It could potentially harm the child. He says, if then you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your father who is in heaven will give good gifts to those who ask him? I mean, we got to stop and remind ourselves, our God is a good God. He's righteous. He's holy. He only wants what's best for us. Even in the midst of trials and tribulations, he wants what's best for us. And we need to continue to thank him and pray that he would continue to provide for us. It's out of his eternal riches, because he is in heaven, he'll supply our daily bread, all of our needs. This isn't a health, wealth, name it and claim it, verse. That's not what he's talking about. You notice he said bread, not caviar. Okay. I mean, we we have to kind of wake up and realize what our society has done to us 
as believers sometimes. Well, the fourth thing here quickly is pray for God's forgiveness. It says to forgive us of our debts. Debts similar to the word for sin. There's a lot of different words in the New Testament for sin, but this is one of them. And it really refers to that moral uh, misgiving. Um, And when sin occurred, there was a debt involved. There had to be payment for that sin. That's why Christ came. He died. He, he died. A, he lived a perfect life and then he died. A death. See, you could have went to the cross and died, but it wouldn't have paid for your sins. Why? Because you weren't a perfect sacrifice. But Christ was. He was perfect in every way. He was God. And so this emphasis here of give us our this day our daily bread. And then he says, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. This isn't conditional. We, we went over this on, on, on uh, Wednesday night. We're going through 1 John and we were talking about 1 John 1, 9. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just. Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't ever believe as a Christian your forgiveness is dependent upon you. It's not. If it was, you would never be forgiven. Your forgiveness is dependent upon Christ's payment for you on the cross. When that transaction happened, that's when you were justified. You were declared righteous before God. All of your sins, past, present, uh, future, were forgiven. They were paid for. Yes, praise God. That's a, a wonderful thing to praise God about. Because I don't know about you, but I wouldn't last two days. If, if Jesus said, hey, I paid for all your sins, Steve, the rest is on you, you know, it, it wouldn't happen. So we need to be thankful for God's payment of our sins. And this isn't here referring to forgiveness that might lead to salvation. Okay, it's really talking about, like I said, it's a familiar prayer here. It's talking about our relationship with God and our relationship with others. God has already forgiven us our debts. And you say, well, why in 1 John are you instructed, you know, if you confess, why are we told to confess? And we talked about this Wednesday night. A lot of times that word if can also be translated since. And so it's kind of like, you know, when you think about it, if we confess our sins, he's not putting a question mark there. That's in our English translation. That's what we look at. But it's kind of like John is saying, why wouldn't you confess your sins? Why wouldn't you say the same thing God says about your sins? Because you're talking about a God who's faithful and just, who's already forgiven you. I mean, your children know this all too well. You can tell a lot about a family and, and, and the kids when the children do something wrong, what do they do? Do they run and hide and scared to death that mom and dad would ever find out? Or do they go willingly realizing that they're going to get in trouble? But they know more than anything else, mom and dad love them. And yeah, I might get spanked for this, but you know, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to confess because I know ultimately they're going to find out anyway. <laughs> so it better me tell them. God already knows. When we're confessing our sins, it's not like he's up there going, whoa, you did what? <laughs> no, that's not how God works. God sees it as it happens. 
And so those sins, those debts were canceled at Calvary. And so we thank God for that. And then the last thing here, we pray for God's deliverance. It says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. It just kind of reiterates the idea that this world is temporary. You know, this is not our home. We're just passing through, the song goes. That is so true. And we need to be reminded about that because, you know, as, as just human beings, we like to put up tents and, and then, you know, the tents pretty soon become firm structures and, and pretty soon we're just camping out here forever. You know, one day, beloved, the Lord is going to come back. He's going to call his church home. We're going to be out of here. I mean, it could happen today. It could happen 100 years from now. I don't know. But I mean, that's what we look forward to. But in the meantime, we're left here on this sin-stained world to have an impact for Christ. We're surrounded by temptations and evil all around us. And God provides that protection. As long as we live in this world, we'll be subject to those temptations, those trials. But you know what? God will enable us, as Paul says, you know what? No temptation has seized us. God will provide a way out. But we need to realize that the battle which we're engaged in, it's a spiritual conflict. It's not a physical conflict. It's a spiritual battle. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 4, he says, though, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to de- demolish strongholds. See, that's why it's important that we pray for our country. That we pray that God would somehow override the evil and extend his grace once again. And, you know, it's not even about the political process. It's not even about the political candidates, to be honest with you. It's about God carrying out his will. I mean, our country is going to go the way of every other country, every other nation. Because it's a country filled with sin. You know, the United States of America doesn't rise above that line and say, oh, we're we're above everyone else. We're we're God's perfect nate. No, we're not. We're far from it. But that doesn't mean, mean we don't pray for our leaders because the Bible instructs us to pray for those in authority over us. And so we need to do that. And we need to pray believing that God will make a change. Because prayer really, it's a great privilege, but it also involves great commitment, deep commitment. So what should we pray? The answer is clear. For God's kingdom to come, for his will to be done. Pray for God's provision. Pray for God's forgiveness. Pray for God's deliverance. And we need to do so in an unceasing manner. James 5.17 says the prayer of a righteous man or person is powerful, that it's effective. I wonder, do we really believe that? Or are we just 
praying because that's the thing we're supposed to do as Christians. 